Episode 249 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the legendary opera singer from New Zealand, Dame Kiri Takanawa. As well as making great recordings and performing sell-out operas and concerts around the world, Dame Kiri famously sang a solo at the wedding of the then Prince Charles to Lady Diana Spencer in 1981, and starred as Maria in Leonard Bernstein's brilliant operatic version of West Side Story in 1984. This interview took place in 1989 at her home in Surrey, England, which she shared with her first husband Desmond Park and their two adopted children. It was during a rare break from Dame Kiri's incredibly busy international schedule. At the moment, I'm about to do a, a week of, uh, of sort of a festival, a Kiri-type festival at the Barbican. And that will consist of a classical concert of Strauss and Mozart with uh, Sir John Pritchard. And then I will do a recital with Roger Vignoles, who I've been doing recitals for a number of years now. Uh, that's just a piano recital. And then a slightly uh, lighter orchestral concert with Carl Davis. That will be popular Italian arias and some songs from the show. You've worked quite a lot with Carl, haven't you? Is he one mm. of your favourite people to work with? Well, he's, yes, he ha- in a word, yes, he's one of my favourite, but also he's, um, he's just got such a fantastic vitality and uh, he seems to sort of work magic with music and, and I rather like that. I love working with people who create today rather than we're trying to recreate what they did, you know, sort of with Mozart and things. They're not there to talk to. With um, a composer or a musician of today, you know, you can sit and you can talk to them and see what they would like, what they would, what they would normally do, rather than think, thinking, trying to think. Well, Mozart would have liked this, we think. But with Carl, we've got someone who just does things, and it's it's. I find it very exciting to to make new music. Do you like to stick with the same people working, you know, to, to work with the same people? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I am a bit sort of. I'm a terrifically loyal person, and I I love to stick with all those people that I know. And also, you know, once you've worked with people who are really nice to work with, you don't want to go away from that because there's no, no use making music with someone who's a tyrant because they bring out the worst in you or sometimes because you want to do the job so much, they bring out, you know, the best in you sometimes. And you think, well, I don't really want to go through that, that sort of high tension again. Have you worked with any tyrants? Uh, no, I think I've been close to it and, and managed to get out of it. Uh, sometimes some people who I feel are just not quite good enough, I've managed to sort of get out of working with them. How much time do you actually spend in this country and how much time was in around the world? Well, not very much time in any country, actually. I'm, I'm constantly whizzing around the world. But that's the way it is. You know, I've always, I get lovely invitations to go to, I don't know, sort of certain functions, parties, galas and things. And I always miss it by a day. Some, a dear friend of mine died not so long ago and I really wanted to go to his his uh, memorial service and sing at it. And it was just, you know, his death was inconvenient anyway, but even the Soto memorial service was just not on my schedule. And you just can't pick up and do something that you would like unexpectedly. But how many weeks in the year do you reckon you're abroad? I suppose you could say eight, eight months I'm, I'm off somewhere. Eight months of the year. And do you have a favourite country amongst the ones that you visit? Yes, well, I love England, of course. Um, I feel a very great sort of calmness when I come back here. I find the people are very lovely, you know, the sort of area that we live in here now. 
they uh, are very sweet. You know, they recognise you, but they don't sort of thing. They leave you be, and, and I really like that. So you can go into a shop and you know you're getting special treatment, but you know that they're not they're not making a terrifically sort of obvious fuss of you, and I like that. Do you get invitations all the time? I imagine you're piled high with invitations to do this and that all over yeah. the world. I get a lot of invitations, but uh, after a while people get tired of asking you when you're constantly saying no. And so then you get some other new invitations and stuff like that. But you get a lot of invitations to always appear to sing or appear to... I don't know, to enhance the group and things like that. And and I find that when I'm off duty, so to speak, you know, when I'm not singing and not having to to go to sort of dinner parties and, um, you know, we have a lot of sponsored concerts now. And those ones are very important because music has to be sponsored. It's, it's very important. But you have to... Sometimes you'd like to turn off and you suddenly think you're at a dinner party where you think you've just been invited for your company and you're getting these incredible questions like, you know, you, you're sort of back on, on duty again. And I suppose you never really go off. You never really turn off the ball. How do you determine which ones you're going to do and which ones you're not going to do? Oh, my sheer workload just stops me doing anything that I can't do. I, I don't go out the night before. If I do the night before a concert or performance or anything like that, I don't do anything the day before. Basically, I, you know, sort of just stay home with the family, we'll just stay very quiet, we'll do a little little study or something. And the day of it's a very sort of regimented type, up quite early in the morning, go and rehearse and, and come back, lunch, rest, perform. And out of the performance sometimes, if it's not a sponsor, I, you know, and sort of just go and see them and say hi, then I just come home to bed because the next day is something. And then the, maybe the next, that day, that day after, I'll have time to, to do something social, but there aren't very many of those. Do you sort of set aside a certain period in the year where you say, I'm not doing anything during that time? Is that what happens? Well, this is sort of it, yes. You're in it. Right. <laughs> you're, you're actually sitting in one of those periods. Right. So well, mm. is it normally the same time every year or the same amount of time every year? No. This is so-called my summer holiday because I won't get a summer holiday this year because we're going to Australia and I'm singing the way I'm out in the Victorian State Opera. And this was the year that was supposed to, the Opera House in New Zealand was supposed to have been opened and I was supposed to be opening it with Bohem. And it just hasn't, it's all sort of falling through. It'll so, eventually happen. So if you're on a break, as it were, you'd spend it at home rather than, I mean, because you're spending the whole rest of the year going around the world. You exactly. You holiday at home. Yes. Yeah. And what about London? How do you rate it as a musical centre of the world? Well, I think it is the musical centre of the world. I really do. Some of the best conductors, the old ones who have passed and gone, unfortunately, have been here and created magic in this town. New York is fast becoming a, a, a certainly a, a big musical centre, but I think they've got a long way to reach the traditions. You know, traditions are deep set and take many, many years, and you can't just overnight say, right, you know, we are the whatever Mozart Centre or the Bartok Centre or whatever. These things take, you know, sort of a bit like blue blood and old money. <laughs> they take a long time. Do you think you can't beat singing at Covent Garden? I would like to sometimes shake the audience to, to awake, you know, to, to say, come on, folks, you know, this, we are trying to entertain you. But there again, uh, you might say that they are not being entertained very well. Maybe we're not doing as good a job as we should. Maybe we're all a little too complacent, the performers, I mean. And the audiences need to be shaken alive a little bit. You have to sing in loads of different languages all over the world. I mean, which do you actually speak? Which languages do you actually speak? Well, I get by in French, and I've... I fuddle along in Italian, and I understand quite a lot of German. But I, re I mean, English is my is my language. But when you're singing in a foreign language, 
do you always have to understand what one is you're singing? Well, you should do, yes. Yeah. And which language do you find the most expressive to sing? Uh, I like them all, really. And I think it more depends on the music. If you love the music, then the language speaks. It, it, sometimes if you're singing in a translation and translated opera or work, it just doesn't fit. It feels like, you know, square pegs and round holes. And that's why in lots of ways you, know, you should really sing the music in the original language. When you're going around the world, do you get recognised in every country? Yes, yes, basically. Very strange things, you know, really odd places. Like, can you give me some examples? I don't know, I, I suppose I should write down to remember them, but there was, someone sent me a picture from Budapest which said something like Kiritikanawa lives, something like that, on graffiti on a wall. And then some people uh, in America have got their, na their number plates on their cars, Kiri 1 and uh, Tikanawa or Kiri Tikanawa or something like that. What do you think of all that sort of fan work? I think it's rather nice, <laughs> but uh, don't take it too seriously, I suppose. How many letters do you get, is it? Quite a lot. When I'm in opera and performing, and when they, when they can f you know, figure out where I am, I get a lot. At Christmas time, I was supposed to perform at the Met, and I unfortunately had my varicose veins done. <laughs> Knocked me out for three weeks. It's a small operation turned into a major operation. Because, you know, our standing hours are, are monstrous. I'll show you some pictures, because I'm really... I mean, if you want to see pictures, these are pictures. It looks like, you know, the facelift on the legs, but it's not. Um, and this woman sent me this box, no joking, it was this wide and this deep, filled with cooked things, Christmas cooked, little Christmas trees and green cornflake type cookies with a red cherry on the, on the top. And they'd been floating around for a couple of months because they couldn't find me. And it was just unbelievable. Do you write back to all Yes. Yeah. Well, I think we do, if I, if I don't lose the address. Quite often, you know, the address gets lost and, and somehow they don't put it on the envelope or something gets damaged and we don't always find it, but yes, we normally write back. And do you have regular correspondence people? Yes, yes, but they write 15, 20 pages, with those yeah. big long pages, and, and yeah. How do you handle that? Well, you, tr you try very hard to sort of write a short one back to yeah. indicate that you don't really have all that much time to, yeah, yeah. to go through that. Do they send you photographs and things to be signed and all that sort of thing? Yes, yes. A lot of people want me with my family, which is, that's really purely private. Do you find it difficult to actually escape? Say you're on holiday somewhere, and do you go to, to be anonymous? Um, it, I think you can be anonymous if you really work at it. And we're, the holidays that we take, uh, for instance, at Christmas time, because of my stupid legs. <laughs> I mean, I was laid up like this with legs, you know, sort of rigid, definitely above my head. <laughs> we went to Orlando, and we stayed at the most beautiful place. And nobody could find, you know, if anyone really were following us or something. But, they, you know, the, in the operatic world, you don't get pestered like you do, say, in the pop world or this sort of stuff. We, no, we don't, I don't create scandals, so it's sort of, it, it's not really newsworthy. Do you enjoy the trappings of fame, like the, getting the table in the restaurant, the free, free flights and that Oh, yes, I think, but that's great. But, it, you know, it's, it, everything you get for nothing, you have to pay for. There's always, there's always something. You know, there's nothing for nothing in this world, and... We try very hard to pay our way, you know. You know, I drive Ford, but uh, nothing's for nothing. Can you give me examples of when you thought you've got away on a holiday quietly and yet you've been recognised by someone who's rather let you down? No, because I think we've done very well on all our holidays. We don't actually tell anybody where we're going. Mm. And when we do, we've been and gone and we're back. So we, we actually, 
And also, I do it for the children's sake. The children don't want you to suddenly sort of say, well, guess where I am? You know, there was a famous trio who did a film not so long ago in, in Arizona, and they absolutely insisted on privacy and anonymity and everything until one of the members of the group who'd actually had enough of his privacy and anonymity decided to call the press and tell them where they all were. You know, that sort of thing. That, yeah. So you can... Was that a pop group? No, no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite venue in the world that you like to sing at? Well, there are lots of very beautiful... I love to sing in beautiful surroundings, you know, like the the uh, Music for Rhine in Vienna, for instance, and I love Salzburg for acoustics and, and atmosphere. I think that uh, Prince Charles is absolutely right when he says all the buildings around are pretty horrible. I mean, that if anyone was going to do anything, and I suppose I shouldn't say this, you know, they should put money, they should build a fund to pull down buildings. And um, <laughs> I know which one would be the first go, but I better not say. But um, New Zealand House <laughs> would be the first to get my support. Because there are some horrendous buildings around, and I think Festival Hall should be next. It's one of the worst acoustics I think I've ever, I've ever sung in. Whereas in America, and I'm you know, not, say, pro and against all that sort of thing, you've got some of the best halls in the world. You've got Auditorium Hall in Chicago. I was in East Lansing not so long ago. Unbelievable, beautiful, modern, but superb acoustic hall. And I sang in a hall in um, Tempe, Arizona, not so long ago, by one of my favorite, Frank Lloyd Wright, called Gamage. And so, you know, I, that's the sort of thing that I love to sing in those beautiful natural acoustics. And I think that this, you know, we've got a lot to be said for pulling down old buildings and putting up new rubbish. Have you shared your opinions with Prince No. <laughs> I think he's doing a well enough job without anybody else helping him. He's, he's absolutely right, and, and a lot of people are listening, thank God, for do the first time. Do you see much of him at all? Have you seen him since the wedding? Oh, yes, yes, a little bit. Just, you know, sort of some, I suppose, he's come to concerts and uh, certainly out of schedule, you know, not, not a sort of, uh, as one of his official things. And he comes and um, he's very interested in music, which is really nice. We're very lucky to have that. Have you ever heard him sing? <laughs> well, since the horse hit him in the throat, he said he can't. <laughs> he said something about the ho summer horse. I, I think it's a good excuse. You mentioned the New Zealand embassy, was it? Yes. New Zealand House. Yes. Um, you're considered to be the greatest ambassador for New Zealand. You don't fill it with pride. I think that if whatever you do, whatever you do in your life, no matter what country you come from, you and you're in the public eye, you are an ambassador, dress, whatever. I don't think you can get away from it. Do you deliberately go out of your way to promote New Zealand? I suppose I go out of my way to make sure that whatever I do, if it suddenly sort of came back, to me and they said, you know, I had misbehaved, then I would say that I had also misbehaved for my country. And I think that one should be very aware of that, whereas uh, I'm not so sure other New Zealanders, even if they were just on a, on a world whiz tour, would consider that, that they, you know, you're damaging your country, not only your own self-pride. Do you meet New Zealanders when you're on tour? Well? Yes, I meet a lot of New Zealanders. Mm. Do they come up and sort of... Very proud, yes. Yeah. They're very proud, and they, they always clutch onto my arm or clutch onto me because they're—I I don't know—they're so proud, which is great. Do you miss the place? Yes, I do. But uh, I mean, I'm not so sure how, what sort of a calm life I would have out there if I if I went to live, which in fact is something I'd love to do, spend a lot more time out there. But it's it's very public for me to go out there now. Well, you know, you can't happily go into a restaurant and, and sit and have a meal anymore. 
like any sort of person who's a big celebrity in their own. Yeah, it's it's quite good. You know, no one's really going to. Can you all go back to New Zealand? Oh yes. Um, it all depends, really. It all depends on the children. You know, if they if they just suddenly decided, well, this is it. You know, we want to really be back in New Zealand. Then we go. How often do you go back? We go back every year. And uh, I'm going only to Australia this year, but the children will go skiing in the South Island. So they're taking lessons at Sandown, and it's really great. Okay. Great time. How old are the kids, and what are their names? Um, Antonia and Thomas, and they are 13 and Thomas is 10. Why exactly do you live in England? I mean, obviously we're pleased to have you, but why do you <laughs> live here? I love it. I just love it. I just happen to love it here. It has a certain, uh, I don't know, it's just something that's very very wonderful. If you love a place, um, I mean, I love a lot of places too. I love, you know, California and I like Portugal, but, you know, if you're going to work, you sort of have to be in the centre of it. And so you might as well take London as your centre. New York can also be a centre, but I, you know, having just lived there now for four or five years, it's, I don't think I could ever take that, that weather again, that, those winters. Do you listen to music to relax or not? Yes, yeah. I wanted to get the BBC to, to stir up their classical station because it's not enough, you know, it's, it's not good enough. <laughs> they should do a lot more music and interesting music. I hear constantly piano concertos and violin concertos and I think, well, what happened to all the other music? Look, other people in the world too, there's so many other interesting things. Well, a lot more orchestrals. There's certainly orchestral excerpts that they can pull out of different wonderful pieces that the public should get to know, you know, if they if it's not heard on the radio, how are the public going to know it when it appears in a concert? That sort of thing, you know, and they know there's lots of concerts coming up and they know the programs months ahead and they could plan to have those pieces on the radio so that the public would know about it. What, what do you listen to to relax though? What, what type of music? Well, we've got up there, we've got George Michael, the Barbara Cook, Barbara Streisand, there's me, but that's only as an accident, and um, Phil Collins. Lionel Richie, Donna Summer, uh, Jennifer Rush. So you like all kinds of things? <clears throat> yes, I like all the things that I don't have to think about too much. Can you listen to yourself then, do you? No, no, I, I find that because just now, this the last couple of nights, that's why that horrendous hi fi, that's our kitchen hi fi system actually, it's the only one we could find. I had to listen to a recording I did for a few months back, and I get so called final say on what they use. So I listened to it, and I've listened to it now five to six times. I think, what do I want to listen to that for, for enjoyment for? And I've just you know, gone through the excruciating pain of saying, that note's wrong, or did you hear someone cough there, or a pencil dropped, or whatever. What does it uh, feel like to know that your music is available all over the world in different records? I mean, you can pop down the nearest town knowing that your records are in that shop. I think it's it's exciting. I, I go into the shops and, and suddenly the children say, there you are! I said, clamp my hand over Tom's mouth and say, out! <laughs> now, so we've gone on with dark glasses yeah. and I quick flick through and see how many records are there. And I, and I so, so I ring up the recording company and I say, now listen here, there's only three of my records there. And they, and they say to me, oh, but do you realise you're selling out all over the place? I said, lies, all lies. Bring them all back. And then I look through other people's I think, gosh, there are a lot of their records there. And so maybe there's some, some slight truth in that I'm selling out. How many records have you made now, Oh. Not as many as maybe I should have done, but then I was late starting. I actually didn't like making recordings and I didn't like listening to my own voice as a lot of people didn't. And that's not just saying, oh no, I don't like to hear myself. 
It wasn't that, it was just the sound that I could hear was not the sound that was coming out on the record. And I discovered it was really down to the, um, the, the engineers, that was the problem. So now I found Decker, the company that I liked the most for the sound, got the best sound people, best technicians. What about seeing your name up on a billboard, as it were? Does that oh, it's still fun. thrill you? No, no, not really. It's fun. Yeah. Well, do the children react to that? No, not really. So they're just used to it? Yeah. Well, I sort of don't take any notice anymore. You know, I think that's sort of... Fast. It's just very nice to... Something that you did as a hobby. Do you remember the first time your name was in lights? No, not really. It, it's sort of always been there, you know, because it's such yeah. a weird name. People sort of can't believe what they're seeing. So, but now I think there's a lot more weird names on the on the market today, so it, it doesn't look so terrible. What are the different things you've been called if they can't get your name oh. right? Uh, there was something on the television, but I know they put it in wrong. It was this Kiri, Kiri K, K Banana one or something like that, or Kiri yeah. Takeaway or something they use it. Do you get annoyed if they don't no. get it right? No. Can you say something rather amusing to Harry Seacombe once when he couldn't get your name right? Oh, Tim Nickers, he kept on calling <laughs> But no, it's, it's fine if they, can, if they can think it and they can't yeah. say it. It yeah. doesn't really matter. Yes. At least they yeah. tried. Yeah. And it's a terrible name to, to get your tongue around anyway. So I just ask everyone to call me Kiri. It's so much easier. What about your title, though? Do you not insist on that? Well, I think when you're in America, you, they don't know what to do with it. Right. <laughs> what, what sort of things have, they, have you been referred to now? Oh, Lady. Oh. Dame Tikanawa. Lady Kiri. And, oh, it just, it just sort of got ridiculous. So I said, look, let's, let's give up on this one. <laughs> Do you want to be known as Dame Kiri? No, not really. It's very nice and everything, but conductors like to use their, their title a lot. Right. But uh, I don't think it's so very necessary. You know, it's lovely to have this. Not many are given out. Do you like the sound of your own voice? Parts of it. <laughs> Which parts do you like? I would change some of them. Oh, sometimes I, I get stuck on a note and I'm, I don't like it and I wish I could, would have, I mean, I hear on the recordings, I think, oh, I didn't like that. That's not a very good sound. Are you ever moved to tears by your own singing? No. you never been close to it? No. You say that your own singing doesn't often move you. What does move you? Are you quite an emotional person? I think so. Uh, what moves me is the innocence of children. The sheer trust in the human race, in, in their parents, or in, the, in, in humans, and how, they let, how those, those adults let them down. The children, I find that the, you know, if anything would happen to the children, well, then that would be for me just a disaster. The fact that you lost two children, does that, did that really shake you up? No, well I, I really sort of didn't lose anything, I'm, you know, just having miscarriages is, is not, I don't think the loss, because you don't know what you've missed. But how did that affect your outlook on life? My outlook on life was that I wasn't going to wait around to keep on having miscarriages. They had to do something about it. And to adopt my two was, I wish it could have been four actually now. You, you, you won't have any other adoptions? No, no, and also it's not fair on them because, you know, they'll be going off to boarding school and they've got little brothers and sisters at home and you know, they, they, they sort of say, well, we want to be home too with them. So. Do you regret not having had your own children, as it were, if you see what I mean? I'm, I think I secretly, uh, if I'd had these two children that I've got now, I don't think I could have asked for two nicer children. But I think it's very difficult to say I regret it because I think that would be quite the wrong thing to say, simply because one should not have any regrets in life, only only pluses and, and positive thoughts that I positively went into adopting children because we had so much to offer, I suppose materialistically if you think about it, which is pretty sick, 
but we did have a lot to offer. We had a lot of educating children. We had a lot to offer them. How do you describe your own voice? Well, it's a lyric soprano. Yes. It's it's not a it's not a heavy voice. It carries through orchestras quite well, I suppose. I suppose at this stage, even now, it's a young sounding voice. It stays. Well, how has it been described? Have you approved of? Because a lot well, of people say mm. it's luminous. Do you think of that word? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I was going to say silvery. Do you like that expression? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a great compliment. What is the greatest compliment you've been paid by the press, for instance, or something like that? Oh, I've had a lot of very nice things said. I think the greatest compliment is that all the crossover recordings I've done have been finally ex accepted uh, by, well, I suppose by some of the press, but that, that really wasn't part of what one was doing. It has brought a new public into our sort of classical music. And I found that listening to some of my other colleagues now, when we first started doing this stuff, it sounded horrendous. Luckily, I wasn't at, at the head of all of that, but some of them were really just not well done at all. And I'm not sure if it was the singers or the, the technicians or the producers saying, oh, yes, you just do this and sing it. Whereas I went to a lot of trouble, like with Nelson Riddle and, and that sort of thing, to make sure that the way you sing that music is the way that it should be sung, sort of thing. I thought it should be sung. And I think, in, in actual fact, Nelson, with his incredible knowledge of, of how to do these things, he put my voice where it should be put in that music, and we did a very close mic type type sound and I find that as one of my happier recordings not necessarily happy because of him because he was he was a very sick man and he was a dear but that's the sort of thing that has happened it brought a new public into my classical area and hopefully will continue to do so do you have a favorite composer yeah I suppose I must be Richard Strauss I love to listen to Tchaikovsky and I love Mozart of I like Puccini. It's, it's all okay. I like Verdi very much. Do you only sing what you like, as mm. it were? Yeah. You do? Mm. Are you very selective? Yes, but I've got a lot to select from. What about a favourite opera? Do you have a favorite? I like them all. It's sometimes that opera today isn't actually done as it should be. When I first started, I worked with people like John Copley, who I think was wonderful, and Colin Davis and George Sholte and, and John Pritchard, all those wonderful people who the most important thing was to do, you know, the overall bubbles effect was to do a fantastic job. The costumes would be beautiful and staging would be beautiful and everyone was sort of, it was sort of seemed to be like an ideal circumstance. Now everyone is sort of politicking and I don't know, someone's getting on the right side of the conductor and someone's getting on the right side of the management. And, and it, I suppose it always all happened when I was younger, but maybe I was just so interested in what I was doing, I didn't take any notice. But I see a lot of things being harmed, a lot of uh, operas being harmed by a lot of useless, wasted, wasted times that are just getting down. I don't think maybe there are such good producers around nowadays. Would you ever like to conduct? No, no. I don't like women conductors. I don't like women conducting. I can't stand those arms waving in the air. It just, it looks horrible. Who are your favourite conductors? Um, Schulte, of course. Colin Davis. Uh, Jimmy Levine's a great conductor. Great pianist. Um, John Pritchard. I only work with us a very, very small number. How does Leonard Bernstein have? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yes. That's extraordinary.
Well, he's a very special person. He's not just a conductor. He's a, he's a, an everyman. You know, she, he's just a, a great genius. Do you tend to sing music of a certain period? Uh, certain uh, romantic style. I think I, I choose always the. I don't go for characterization. I mean, I'm, I love comedy and I love I love uh, playing jokes and things. But I I don't sort of set myself up as a comedian or anything. You're very rarely heard singing Bach. Handel or Wagner. Why is that? I suppose I sing a little Bach, a little Handel, no Wagner. Wagner's not really for my voice, and Bach and Handel, there hasn't been a great call for me to sing it in sort of oratorio type work, but I do quite a lot of Handel in recitals and in uh, concerts, orchestral concerts. Have you always liked classical music? Yes, yes. At what age were you when you first started appreciating it? Well, I, I suppose when I really liked it was when I was about sort of 18. There seemed to be a sort of substance to it, rather than the pop music, which which went boom, chudum, boom, chudum, and after a while you just get bored with this. I like to sort of be constantly experimenting, and I like to, I don't keep my sort of my brain going. You, know, you need to be stimulated all the time. When did you first realise you had a special gift? Well, I I don't think I did. I think it just sort of happened. But it just, I I mean, I had a fabulous singing teacher and I had fabulous advice when I first started, so I was really looked after very well, guided in the right direction. Let's talk about career highlights. <laughs> career highlights. <laughs> we don't, I mean, in opera it's different, I think, isn't it? It's sort of, we put along and we, we, we do our little bits and pieces, and every now and again you get some really sort of showy bits. I think the, 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 the biggest showy bit I've had was the West Side Story, except for, of course, the Royal Wedding, but but that's different, that's a wedding, you know. Is there any particular opera you look back and think, my goodness, I was at my best then? I suppose Don Giovanni has always been a good opera for me, and Arabella, and Rosen Cavalier, and good, good Rosen Cavalier here, and Schlesinger and Schulte. But does it bother you that sort of non-opera purists, as it were, still remember you best for the royal wedding? Does that sort of disappoint you? No, no, not really, as long as they've come to see me do something, a little something different. It would be nice to think that they just didn't stick in front of their televisions and wait for another royal wedding to appear before the next person came along. Can you tell me how that came about, the royal wedding? I really don't know, but somehow I was called by telephone, you know, on April Fool's Day, which is, I think everyone heard the story, but I, I was called and they said, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is Charlie wants you to sing at his wedding. And I didn't know any Charlie. Oh, my manager right. from London. I was in Paris, and I didn't know anyone called Charlie. I mean, I'm, there's a driver that I use all the time. His name's Charlie, but that's it. So what happened? So what was the bad news? I don't know what the bad news was. It was certainly overridden by the by the good news, overridden by the good news. I don't know what. What was your reaction then? What did you say at the time? In some very strange way, I sort of thought I might be asked. I don't know. It was just something, some very strange thing. It was sort of. I put, as soon as I knew when the wedding date was going to be, I put in my diary, keep this day free. But I was going to watch it, of course, all day. Did you know them at all before that? I mean, how much contact did you have with Prince Charles? No, I, I suppose a, you know, a reasonable amount, as most people do. And he'd been to see quite a... Sort of, yes, there's been sort of, he's always been very interested in, in, in all music, and... Uh, always sort of been very charming as he is. Uh, I'm sure you've met him on many occasions. He's, I think he's one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. 
He has the most piercing pair of eyes. He's the most. He, I think he's one of the. Well, he'll make a fine king, that's for sure. But I think he's really a very, very special person. What and he works at it. What do you remember best about that occasion? I think it's everyone was so laid back. You know, it was high security, but everyone was just so marvelously laid back. I was sort of amazed. What happened before and after the wedding that perhaps we didn't see on the television? Well, nothing really. I mean, every, everyone knew what they were doing, and everyone right. knew where they were going, and everyone was doing exactly what they were doing. There was no mix-up, there was no muddle. Everyone was absolutely geared. I mean, I wish I could recall it all so vividly, you know, as, I, as one is going through it. And you think, oh, gosh, wouldn't that be nice to remember blow by blow? Do you ever watch the video of it? I haven't even watched it, no. Really? I've got nine hours of it. You've never watched it? Was there a party afterwards at all? Yeah, well, there were lots of parties, yeah. you know, and we went off to Emmanuel Kay's house for lunch. They had a lovely big party. It was a really great fun. How nervous were you actually or petrified? I, I suppose I was. Like anything you do, you, you get very nervous. But I suppose I was just more nervous that it would all go wrong. Yeah. Or, some, you know, there'd be some terrible thing happen. You know, I was, I was just nervous for some hiccup in the arrangement. Would you say you were more nervous for that occasion than anything else? No, no, I, I don't think so. I was very nervous building up to it because I'd come out of a very heavy season at Covent Garden and, and I wasn't actually sure if I, I was actually going to come up with goods, you know, because I was very, very tired. Who chose the song? Ah, uh, Prince Charles. Right. And were you pleased with the song? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. It was a great song to sing. Had you done it many times before? No, I, I hadn't done it for... I'd sung it when I was something like 19 years of age and never done it since. I actually recorded it when I was 19. And I hadn't sung it since, and, and just let it be, and suddenly he comes up with it, and I think, oh gosh, I remember that from way, way back. And then, of course, big criticism, I started doing it in concert, because it yeah. was asked for. And so they say, oh, she's cashing in on the, on the royal wedding. I thought, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. And so many people wanted to hear it again. Were you pleased with your performance of it? Yeah, I, I thought, under the circumstances, I didn't think we did too badly. But you, you haven't seen it back. Oh, I've, no, I've seen that bit back because it was played a lot of times on telly, you know, yes. and so I saw it. But I never actually went to the video and played it back. My father was here at the time, so that was it was yeah. really special with him. And did your husband come to the wedding? Yes, he, he got a, an invitation, which I thought yeah. was very nice. How long did it take you to choose your outfit for the wedding? Because that was good, very <laughs> popular. Yes, well, it had a lot, of, a lot of things said about it. Well, I was in Paris and at the time, and... and um, I thought, well, what better place? And I happened yeah. to be doing some photographing for the designer, Leonard, which I happened to like. And I was doing some photographs for them for some unknown reason. I didn't know, some publicity. And I didn't tell them what it was for, but I said it was some very, very special occasion. That it had to be sort of very special. And I loved that particular material, and I loved what, you know, everything about it. And I thought, well, it's going to be hot, and, you know, you're only going to see from here to here. So that had to be the interesting part of it. So that's all I cared about. Because the hat was quite outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was different. I went to Philip Somerville because he does a lot of the royal's hats. And he wrote to me and he said, well, you know, if you haven't got a hat, I'll do it. Right. So I didn't even have to look for a, yeah. for a milliner. So we took the dress and showed him the dress. And so he chose, sort of basically said, well, this would be... And I, it had to be cute and things like that. Are you a hat fan? Uh, I, I love hats on other people. So I've, I've got a... A Cooper hat, you know, the sort of the ones that Greg Norman wears. Oh yes, that's right. One of those. Yeah. Great white shirt. Mm. Have you 
had you sung before in St Paul's Cathedral or have you sung since then? No. And how, how did you find St Paul's acoustic-wise? Well, it, it is very wandering, you know, it's sort of, it, it, you, do, you can't hear very much and it, I suppose it doesn't sound very good from way across the other side of it. But I thought that the, um, the you know, you got the best on the television. When you were about to stand up and sing at the Royal Wedding, what was going through your mind before? Were you starting to quake or were you quite relaxed? I think what was the most nerve-wracking was that, you know, the lack of communication because of the distance from the altar, which yeah. we were behind, behind that monstrous pillar. We saw nothing. And the only thing we had was a television to look at. So I think that's what I was most nervous about, that were we going to get the right signal or, or whatever coming through. We, we were okay. But I was just terrified that the lines of communication would go down, and there was this dreadful pause, and nothing would happen. And it was all you know. You can see these things, can't you? You didn't have any nightmares beforehand. No. What did uh, Prince Charles or Lady Diana, Princess Diana, say to you after your performance? Did they congratulate you, or what sort of things did they say to you? Uh, well, I didn't see them, and I think we who knows it, I think we had dinner with them not so long after. I can't. Yeah, I think we did. We must have had dinner with them. They came to New Zealand Consulate's house and we had a nice, quiet dinner. One thing he did say at the dinner, which I thought was really funny, someone gave him a drink, and he, uh, whatever he drank, and he was talking to Des and, and me, and he, it, was just the, it was just the two of us, and he was, he was alone just talking. He says, something like, good God, what's in, what's in this drink? And he asked the waiter, the waiter said, what, what, what he asked for. He says, is that all? And Des suddenly says, something, well, well, there is an olive in it, so something like that. He says, what did you put in this? <laughs> I think it was a bit potent. Are they a very natural couple? Oh, they? yes. Yeah. Yes, they're lovely. They didn't sort of stand on grace. But they're just not like that. There's right. All of them, right, you know, Edward and Andrew and all that lot, they're just gorgeous. Because they're trained like that, you know, it's yeah. their, it's their yeah. job. Right down to the, all the, as I call the aide-de-camps, all the equerries and all that lot, they're all highly skilled in putting people at their ease. It's we who are not at ease. <laughs> and we that actually cause, I'm sure, you know, embarrassment to them. And, and they're totally calm and at ease with all of that. Didn't Charles say something rather amusing about your hat or something? I thought he... I think he maybe mentioned the hat. Something like that. Something, I think so. I don't know, I can't remember. Something about you've got a bit of flag on the hat or something, I don't know. I thought you said something about you looking like a buttery gun or something. Oh, I, no, I, no, I think that was in private eye. Oh, right. I looked like a bird of paradise. Yes. Was it the letter to Dennis or something? I did, I did. And she went on and on and on, and well, she's saying on and on and on and on. Yeah. Does things like that hurt I think you? it's great. Oh, like. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that that occasion caused you to steer yourself into a more popular field of music like West Side Story, My Fair Lady, South Pacific, that you've done. No, I don't think, no, that didn't do it, but I think my popularity grew because of it. I think my popularity grew uh, enormously. The folks back home in New Zealand, presumably, they have parties for you? Or that I don't know, because I didn't go back till till the following year. By that time, I got the dong, so, you know, that was, they were sort of very proud of that. Do you reckon you would have gone into things like West Side Story, My Fair anyway? Was that something you were intending to do before that time? I always loved it. But, you know, you can't just go in and say, well, and then, in, in, you know, you sell two copies. You've got to go in a, in a big way. Yeah. Would you like to have been an actress? 
Yes, yeah. And therefore, perhaps done the shows, been, say, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady or mm. Natalie Wood in But I would like to have been an actress, just without being a singer first, I think. I would love to have done that, because I admire her greatly. So if you weren't a singer, do you think you'd be an actress? Maybe. I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah. I was lucky enough to get into the theatre, so to speak, this one. So what did actually get you into those doing those musicals? What prompted them? The, the West Side Story prompted it. Right, that was the first one? Yeah, that was right. the first one. And then it started to go from there. You know, they, as one record company sees it's selling so well, they think, oh, let's do another one. And then they say, oh, let's do another and another till they can't stop, you know. Yeah. And are there any more planned that we don't know of yet? Um, none planned, but I think maybe I'll, I'll have a go at something else. What other ones would you perhaps like to do? Well, I'd like to do, um, not necessarily, they say King and I, and I'm not sure about that. But I'd like to do, I've uh, got a few plans of some more light music and stuff. What about doing one on stage, a musical? I wouldn't mind. I mean, I've got nothing to lose, and I think, and everything to gain. They can't, no one says in anywhere, in, there are no written laws that I can't do this sort of music. There's only only snobbism that stops you, and, you know, the fear of being damned. But as I'm seeing the back end of my career now, I think I'm allowed to do anything, everything I like. What about doing a Lloyd Webber? Uh, well, if, yes, if he would write something for me. Would you like him to? Very much, yes. Have you ever spoken to him? No, but I, I mean, I did say to him once, you know, I'd love to do something, but he's uh, very busy now. Well, do you enjoy things like Phantom of the Opera? Yes, yes. Yes, I saw Phantom and I saw Cats. I haven't seen Starlight Express, unfortunately. I'd like to see that. What about Les Mis? Yes, I saw that. It wasn't particularly good the night I went to. I suppose you, do you find yourself very critical when you're watching? Yes, yes, yeah. too too much so. It's kind of shame, yeah. isn't it? You can't yeah. see it like everyone else can. No, I just, was, when I went, went to watch Les Miserables, evidently it was just a new cast. And I thought their voices were in tatters by, before they'd even got within the first month of uh, the new cast. And I thought that was sad. What about this West Side Story project? Absolutely wonderful to watch. Mm. How mm. did you get involved in that? I was asked. Mm. When I was By very Bernstein. Yes. Right. And when I was very, very young I, I you know, watched the movie and I fantasized that I was Maria and everything and then suddenly I was doing it. It's been called a very sexist musical, hasn't it? Because of things like I feel pretty and all that sort of thing. Do you, do you not object to those? Rubbish. Sexists and racists and all that sort of yeah. thing. You know, people are so hyper protective about Sexist, and I can't stand all that. How do you rate that music? Is that your favourite one still? Um, yes, I think it is. Yeah. Mm. So, what sort of an experience was it actually doing it? Because it looked tremendous fun, but also quite hard work. Well, it was hard work in in that you know we didn't have all day to do it. Yeah. So the orchestra was paid, and you know they weren't going to sit around five minutes after, because uh, you know the cameras wanted to do something, or Lenny wanted to have a whatever a cigarette, and. You know, time does not wait for this sort of stuff. So we had a limited three-hour session. We had to do it. And, you know, the heads were down. And I love the place at one stage, you'll let save lips, which was exactly right. You know, the trumpeters were really going at it, and they had a lot of work to do. Anna Bernstein seemed quite tough on Jose Carrera, so you don't seem yeah. to have a hard time. Do you yeah, agree I don't with know what that was about. Did they get on well otherwise? I, the little I saw, that I, I, I don't know. But Lenny had... Lenny's sort of one of those guys, you know, he's, he's a, he backs the good guys, there's the goodies and the baddies, and I suppose he'd made me a goodie, right. and I was, Jose, and Jose was the baddie, something like that. There was a lot of big, big names there. Was it easy? 
I'm not suggesting you have an ego as such, but I mean, there's a lot of big egos at stake, aren't there? Was that yes, a problem? yeah. I, I'm one of those sort of people, though, evidently. They say I'm a bit difficult, but I haven't seen it. But I'm one of those sort of people that go into a group and they say, oh, thank God, Kiri's here, you know, at least that'll calm things down. And, and I don't cause waves unless yeah. I find that something is particularly useless and waste of time. And I either want to get out or I say, that shouldn't be happening. And I think we should stop wasting time on that particular character, person, whatever it is, and let's get on with what we're supposed to be doing. It was an absolute wealth of talent there, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Oh, but the band was so wonderful. Yes. That was the, the interesting thing. It was an immense privilege to do it, actually. I found it an honor yeah. to be with him, yes. Yeah. What about things like My Fair Lady and uh, Were You Pleased with Were You Pleased with Your Performance? Yes, things? I loved that. Yeah. yeah. What about South Pacific as well? South Pacific I loved very much, too. Yeah. Do you ever feel like these parts were made for you, as it were? Well, I felt, because I grew up with them, I felt some sort of, you know, sistership with them. Now, having reached the very top of your profession, is there much left that you want to achieve? Well, yeah, I mean, I could visit every country and sing on every op operatic stage. That would be a wonderful thing to do. But, you know, I'm now married 23 years, which is a long time in a sort of profession to be with a partner. We have a wonderful family life, and there aren't very many people going around today who you could happily say that have been married this length of time and have had both both sides of the of the cake, you know, or the, the medal or whatever you call it. How many years longer do you reckon you can stay at the top of your profession? Oh, not long, I suppose. Um, I think it's always best to get out while I go in school. What's that what you intend to do? Mm, yeah. Have you told the number of years? <laughs> number of months, most probably. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. You see, I think... Um, by not doing too much, I can, if suddenly my voice would suddenly go, you know, and if, if someone said to me, of the three senses, what would you give up? I would give up voice. If I could keep my hearing and my sight for the rest of my life, then the voice is not necessary. Do you worry about aging? Oh, no, no. I think if you start to worry about it, then you start becoming terribly obsessed with age, wrinkles, facelifts, and all that sort of thing. How, how many years do you reckon you will go on before you say that's it? You, you say you are going to just call it a day one day. I think that one, yes, even, you know, you can't sort of go till you say, well, I'm going to finish out all these contracts and, and then I'll finish, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I think that you you keep booking yourself, and, you know, doing jobs, thinking that if you've got enough space in between, you'll do them well. Also, you know, I've, I've done so much, I've given up so much in, in this career. Uh, family and stuff, even though I feel as though I've had a very good family life and a, and a very good musical life. But I've given up so much, and I think it's... I always swore that when Tony became, you know, one of the sort of so-called teenager and, and all their problems, I think that's when the parents have really got to heavily come in and help them, whether it be good or bad, because they do need, you know, the parental guidance then. And I want to sort of be around quite a lot for that. And I just see how it goes. You know, I'm not going to sort of say, you know, in five years or two years or whatever it is. But I am seeing the back end of my career now. Mm -hmm. Are you sort of planning in your head a final concert or something? Or do you do? No, but I, I would like to, to hope that any influence I had would be something to, to the, be the advantage. One would gain something from, say, your own celebrity and plus all the stuff, the influence that you'd have on other people to... Um, 
to make it possible to raise money for certain charities, which is what I would like to become more involved in later on. So if you do have any influence, then you use what you've got to raise money for very, very worthy causes that are very necessary now. If you did do a final concert, what do you think it would be? A, an opera of any particular kind? or What, what would you like to do? Is it your bowing out? Uh, I don't know. I suppose it would have to be an opera if I ever did. So-called bow out. But I think it would be really spur of the moment and say, right, that's it, that's enough. I but think it would be right in the middle of, of a performance of something else. Say, well, that's, this is the last one. Could you choose a particular opera with a particular cast that you'd like to... Well, it would be nice. I'm, I'm doing operas now with, with people that I really love, love to work with. But uh, if they're not as sort of farewell things or anything. I just would like... Everyone wants to leave a legacy or leave something for history. And really, I mean, history forgets very quick... Well, time people forget very quickly. What do you leave? I think I've left some very good recordings. I'm very proud of the songs of the Auvergne and my Mozart recordings and some of my operatic recordings. I'm very proud of a lot of the stuff I've done. Would you say that you've done everything that a lyric soprano can do? Yes, and possibly more. Does that sort of leave you looking now, what am I going to do next? Well, as I said to you before, you know, I have nothing to lose yes. by doing some things that people would so-called people, which is the, the purists, would say, oh, well, she shouldn't be doing that. She sold herself down the line. But if you don't try these things out, how will you ever know that you could or you couldn't do it, especially if you believe yourself that you should do some things? I mean, you don't go on drugs and things because you think, well, I haven't tried that, I'd like to. I'm not trying dangerous things, I'm trying things that should be experimented, and I should be allowed to experiment on some of the music that I do. Well, I'd take a bit more pop music. I mean, you actually recorded one or two Beatles numbers in your early mm, days. Yes. Long time ago. Would you like to do some? <coughs> well, I'd like to do some Michel Legrand stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got a full recording of his that I could be doing, and I just haven't got the time at the moment. And there's, uh, I've got some lovely songs to learn and to sing. Some, you know, torchlight songs, as they say, which I'd very much like to do. Do you plan to do more recitals as time goes by? Yes, if there is a recital audience here, I'm not so sure there is such a, a large recital audience here in Britain. It is on the continent, it's, it's quite healthy, and it's very much in America. But uh, I think one still feels that the recital is still in Wigmore Hall with the so-called 500 people, and I think that it should get it to a bigger stage. I think there should be uh, a larger audience, and the only way to do it is for us to make the recitals interesting to the public, you know. If you the, did recitals, would you sort of venture into German leader sort of thing? Well, that's, that's what people do do. Yeah. And I think one has to get away from that a bit and do a more popular, I'm not saying pop, I'm saying more popular songs. People, people know. But once again, if they're not broadcast on the radio, people in, will never hear them. Mm. You know, they've got to be given airtime as well. Will you slack off in opera gradually? Is that the idea? A little bit, because it's so time-consuming. What about oratoria? So I'm not stopped. such a great oratoria person. Mm. I'm more concerts. Has he really started in that? A little bit. What of the up-and-coming operatic stars like Isabel Buchanan, Kathleen Battle, Barbara Hendricks, those sort of people, how do you rate them? Who do you see as a sort of future yourself? As it well, in, uh, I'm not so sure here. There are a lot of very good men coming up. I'm really not very good at, at judging because I haven't been in England long enough. But I know there is a new singer coming up in New York called Aprile Milo, and she's becoming the big new hope uh, at the Met. But there are a lot of very good singers, but, you know, I don't think they're 
they've got the opportunities that say I have the opportunities and I'm coming to the end of mine, so to speak. So I hope that they get good opportunities too. Do you think you might go into sort of training yourself or coaching or teaching of any kind? No, I don't think so. I don't think I'd be very good at that. And in this particular field of a profession or whatever you call it, a lot of singers won't won't actually, a lot of very young singers will come to has-beens. But, uh, you know, one is very wary to go off to a singer and to be trained by them unless they've, you know, they've sort of, they've got, they've known very well what they've been doing themselves. I think maybe I would, would be able to help young people, but it's very strange, it's very, once a singer's over and out and gone, they say, oh, that title singer, that's, you know, old-fashioned. Who your favourite male and female singers? Do you have a favourite? There are a lot of wonderful singers around this. I mean, I've always liked Lantine Price and uh, Tebaldi, but those are the, the real past type, not passe, but past times. Who do I like at the moment? Well, I like Frederica von Stade. Well, she's a very good buddy as well. And... Um, I sort of have to go through a list and tell you, but I, I can't just run them off at the moment because, like, I would go to Frederica and, and see her concert, opera, or anything just because I like her. Whereas I'd go, say, to see another singer because she happens to be particularly good at that particular composer or she, the acting was extremely good or something like that. What do you think of Joan Sutherland? I love Joni. She's a wonderful... Well, as well as one can be from a distance. She's a great, great singer. She opened... a very big door for, for that sort of field of singer. No one's actually ever been able to touch her as far as I'm concerned. Do you see much of her? I mean, have you seen? Well, there's always messages flying. You know, she's in town, she'll always say, give Kerry my love, and I'll say, give you know, Joan and Ricky my love. Do you That's encourage young singers yourself, do you? Yes, as much as one can. I get a lot of letters from young singers always wanting to come and learn from me, or, or you know, when I'm in town, would they please, would I listen to them, or would I give them a master class or something? But I really don't have very much time for myself, let alone for listening or advising young people. And a lot of them uh, look at your own life and try to copy what you've done. And a lot of them have, have got quite minor, becoming major emotional problems because they can't get on or because they can't lose weight or because they can't have a boyfriend. They become quite disturbed by this, and so everything that overrides all the other good things that they could be doing rather than just getting on with life and getting on because some people can't do without a friend, a mate, a companion and some can't do without, I don't know, some just don't get themselves together at all, very messy. How do you get on with uh, Placido Domingo? Oh, very well. You really do? Mm. Oh, yes. Mm. And do you see much of him socially? I mean, do you, I've seen you playing golf with him before now. Well, no, it sort of has to be really right. manipulated to to get singers together because we've all got such very busy schedules. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I have some relatives in town at the moment who I haven't been able to see and they've been here for three or four weeks. Mm. And you know, they just have to sort of step aside till I've got myself clear. Is Placido Domingo's a favourite voice of yours and Luciano Pavarotti mm. perhaps as well? Yes, I happen to love the tenor voice. When I say I'm going to die and come back, I'm coming back either as a tenor or a pussycat. <laughs> Sweet. What are your ambitions? What are now? they? Yes, personal and professional. I think I'd like to live a, a reasonably healthy life, uh, not go too old and decrepit, have left enough musical interest to say, well, you know, and while they're still playing old, as we call them, dead divas music on the radio today, maybe when I'm dead they might be playing mine. <laughs> All modesty aside, do you consider yourself one of the greats? Uh, no, I, I don't 
No, not like the Tibaldi's Callas Sutherland of our era. Nothing like that. Do you not but think I believe be mentioned in the same breath as that, is it? I might be, but they were in the glorious golden years. I went to see Barbara Cook, and she said, you know, if they told me 30 years ago I was in the golden years, I would have been able to enjoy it. Mm. But she says it's, too, it's 30 years too late. You know, I've, it's gone past. I think I was in the modern 80s, 70s, 80s. I, th I would like to be known for that, that I modernised things a bit. Are you glad that you're living in this era, or would you like to have been in that? I would like to have lived in that, that sort of Tibaldi Callas time. Do you have any regrets at all? Yes, I have lots and lots of regrets that... Um, I, I was a late starter. Everyone thinks I was an overnight wonder. Well, a lot of people said overnight wonder, but I was a late because starter. Because of the royal wedding? No, 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 because I came to England when I was about 22. I um, studied from age 22 till four or five years, and then went into Covent Garden. Everyone said I, you know, I was very young to sing the calendars and things like that. If I had had better formal education and what do you call it? If I had been disciplined at a younger age, I wouldn't have had all these years of disciplining myself and finding it so much easier to be disciplined than to be a mess. Mm -hmm. My school education suffered greatly. I never ever gained any so-called papers in, in education. Taking a lot of time to get all those things, I maybe would have said, you know, I majored in this and I, I was educated in that and, and talked about that. But no, that seemed to matter other than just getting up on stage and performing. And a lot of singers have gone by, like some of the people today, singers today, who can't actually read music. Are you happy with your lot in life, as it were? Yes. Mm. Are there, I mean, is there anything you would have, you could have done without, apart from what you've already mentioned? Done without? Yes. I could have done without my, my early years. I would, if only, as they say, you know, I knew then what I know now. And my parents kept on saying that, but I didn't have, and, and I would say, a lot of people in New Zealand didn't really have the sort of, I don't know, responsibility, the educating of, of time, you know, being on time, doing things responsibly, doing it 100%. And if you didn't do it 100%, you went back and you tried to do it again, you know. Everything I do, I would like to say that it wasn't perfect, but it was damn close, you know. Do you think you've been lucky? Yeah. How much of your success do you attribute to luck? I suppose 50% of it, because the other 50% is jolly hard work. And a lot of sacrifice too, I think. Did you always think, when you were a little girl, that you were destined for greatness, as it were? No, but I was very blessed. You know, I, I mean, I knew that I was terrifically lucky. Everything I touched just, just turned, you know, so that it all sparkled, you know, no matter what I did. Are you happy as a child? Yes. So you've always been happy, really? Mm. What's been the most happy time in your life? Every time, there's always been down periods, but I kill those off, I shoot those down with flaming arrows as quickly as, as they come up. So I can basically say that all my life I've been extremely happy. I've had a couple of funny periods with my music that I haven't actually enjoyed doing it. And I think that the weight of the pressure on you to, to perform or to do extremely well, has, it's been quite hard sometimes because you actually never believed you could come up to the standard that you really want. Because you look at people like you know, Callas, you mentioned earlier, mm. I mean, their lives were tragic at the yes, same time as yes, successful. Yes. Did you ever worry that, my goodness, that could have been me? Oh, yes. I look back now and, I, and you hear stories of how things did go wrong for them.
I don't think they could have said they had a particularly happy moment unless it was people applauding them and flowers being thrown at them and I find that that is not happiness for me I love it you know and it's wonderful but you think well when it stops you know you can't take that home